Amen. Yeah, that was, uh, how many of you remember that in teen, I heard that was teen class for me, yeah, back in the, a long ago. <laughs> Anyways, all right, Judges. Judges in chapter 3. We're going to have a transition spot here. I don't, I don't have my mic, brother, and I, I'll probably be all right, theoretically. I'll try to pretend that I'm not moving anywhere. Uh, yeah, maybe just, just in case. Judges in chapter 3. All right. So this is essentially a transition passage, okay? So we've, we're kind of leaving the initial intro, thank you, brother, of the, the death of Joshua, the hearts of the people, the lack of having completely driven out all the bad guys, if we can put it that way. And in chapter, chapter 3, verse 8, is where we actually start the cycle of all the judges, okay? All the lovely cycle. And believe it or not, the messages will be different, even though the cycle is the same. Uh, how uh, Humans are amazing at how many different ways we can come up with to mess up. I don't know, if, have you all noticed that? You think you got something all taken care of and you find some new way to blow it? Um, does anybody know what I'm talking about? Every, I can't believe I actually had a conversation just recently where somebody said, oh no, the housing market's not going to fall again. And when it all happened in 2008, they, they put a bunch of laws in place so it can't fall again. I'm going, no, they put a bunch of laws in place so it can't fall like that again. That doesn't mean we can't come up with some new way for it to fall apart. You're just, you know, that's how we're good at that. Humans are amazing, so in that regard. So this chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, is a, is a very interesting, I, I only know how to call it a transition. Matter of fact, it's changing my view of the book of Judges in some ways. Uh, not dramatically, but just, in, well, you'll see here. So chapter 3, verse 1. Now, these are the nations which the Lord left. You understand that's intentional. To prove Israel by them. And prove is like uh, the word, like an assayer's office, so they would test gold. That's the kind of word. The, the prove there is to kind of test the quality, to, to look, for, uh, look for falsity, to make sure you know, it's up to snuff kind of deal. So a test. To prove Israel by them even as many of Israel as had not known all the wars of Canaan. So we have a new generation that don't know, not the wars of Egypt now, these are the wars of Canaan. So this is a new generation in, in the land, the promised land, that, that were not familiar or did not have to swing a sword, okay? They did not have to swing a sword to be in the promised land. Verse 2. Only that the generations of the children of Israel might know to teach them war, at the least such as before knew nothing thereof. Namely, here's, here's who he left, five lords of the Philistines and all the Canaanites and the Sidonians and the Hivites that dwelt in, the Mount, in Mount Lebanon from Mount Baal Hermon unto the entering in of Hamath. And they were to prove Israel by them to know whether they would, there it is again, they were to prove Israel by them, by those people left in the land, to know whether they would hearken unto the commandments of the Lord, 
which he commanded their fathers by the hand of Moses, which they have written down, okay? So they've got much written down, they've also got much handed down verbally, verse 5. And the children of Israel dwelt among the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, and Perizzites, and Hivites, and Jebusites. And they took their daughters to be their wives, and gave their daughters to their sons, and served their gods. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and forgot the Lord their God, and served Balaam, or Balaam, and the groves. So, I know it's a weird place to stop, but that's kind of where the passage, this initial passage starts. We'll probably back up to verse 5 when we get down into verse 8. But, just an interesting passage. God purposefully left some enemies in the land. And by God's word, it was for a couple reasons. And we're going to look at that uh, for a little bit. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the lessons that you continually teach us. We'd ask that you would, uh, Lord, bless in the sermon, Lord, the message in the hearing and the delivering. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, you all know after this, we're going to go into the period of the judges. And I, so I want, you, I want you to connect the dots, and we'll, I'll help you connect at least the dots that I connected. So <clears throat> I want to start with this. Some of you uh, were probably even alive. I, I know it was just before my awareness of life, but when a lot of desegregation started happening and federal judges started by court order desegregating schools and things like that, and some of you might even remember, because uh, it was on national news. Matter of fact, I'm pretty sure, I didn't double check this, but I'm pretty sure you can go see the story or pieces like the story on YouTube still. But a federal judge uh, ordered in New Orleans, ordered the schools of New Orleans to open all the public schools to African-American children. They had to, they, they had to desegregate. It was by, by law. Okay, to understand that in the day there was a lot of racial tension, a lot of racism, okay, and there was a lot of white parents that decided if the black children are going to be in their school, that their white kids were not going to be in school. Okay? This, uh, and you understand, it's those days I'm not going to speak one way or the other. It was not a good thing. Okay? Um, <clears throat> and as a matter of fact, it kind of became known that uh, if there was any black children that, I'm sorry, that, I, I said that wrong. The white parents decided that they were going to fight it. And what they said was, if any black kids try to come to school, okay, they're going to be a problem. There's going to be a problem, and they're going to keep their kids out, or they're going to keep the black kids out one way or the other. There's going to be an issue. So guess what? Most of the black children said, oh, we ain't going to school. Okay, we're just not going to do it. Except for one little girl by the name of Ruby Bridges. Ruby Bridges. So what ended up happening, I know this is going to sound funny, but Ruby Bridges, six years old, her parents sent her to school, and they sent her by herself. So she walks to school, white people lining the streets, shaking their fist at her. I'm sure that was probably not the least of it. Okay? So every morning she walked to school, and the school, because she was there, was empty, primarily except for her and the teachers, because the white people ain't going to send their kids to, with black kids to school. I, what I'm saying is, for us, it's a whole nif- different generation, but this is literally not too long ago. And she walked by herself every day 
to school, ended up having to have two U.S. Marshals walking in front of her and two U.S. Marshals walking behind her, according to to the the book that I'm reading or read about it, uh, which is in A Pretty Good Person by Lewis Smedes, uh, which I've only read excerpts, now I want to go back and read the book. So she spent the day at school alone with her teachers inside a big silent school building, no other kids. Kind of funny, isn't it? I mean, now we look at it and go, what in the world? What were people thinking? But So a Harvard professor got a little interested. What, what makes, number one, the parents so confident to send their kid, but also, how does a six-year-old kid have the courage to do that? I mean, seriously. Mom said, all right, go to school. And the kid, they say, not run back to mom, go, I mean, I'm just thinking that would have been me. So they... They went to, they, they talked to the girl and they ended up talking to the mother. And I, this is what I want you to hear. So they, when they talked to the mother, Ruby's mom, this is what they said, she said. There's a lot of people who talk about doing good and a lot of people who argue about what's good and what's not good. But there are other folks who just put their lives on the line for what's right. You hear the story? Are you following along? Some people are just going to do what's right no matter what. The judge said we could be at the same school. I'm going to send her to school. So she did. And the little girl followed her courage and took it with her. Now, some of you are going, how in the world does that connect with our passage? Because I want to remind you, what is the rest of the book of Judges? Somehow, Sometimes when I think of the book of Judges, I keep seeing it as a list of Israel's failures. You know what I'm saying? But what's the name of the book? Judges. It's not so much a list of the book of failures as it is a list of people who just did what was right. That's why it's called the book of Judges. Now, is it unusual for people to be foolish and disobedient? Is that unusual? No, that's kind of par for the human life, right? Okay, I want to make sure you all are, I want to see some heads up and down. So, this is interesting in this passage that God has purposefully left enemies in the land. Purposefully. And there's a whole new generation. They have not had to fight. They have not had to haul out their sword and war. And God says, well, I'm going to leave you some enemies. Why? Because you need them. And there's three reasons, and this is really simple. Three, three things, we'll get an illustration and we'll be done. Three things. Why did he leave some enemies? And in this passage, I can only see three things. Number one, and as he says quite clearly um, in verse 2, to teach them war. What? The Israelites got to know how to fight. <laughs> and this new generation, they don't know how to fight. So I'm leaving them some bad guys, some enemies, so they can learn how to fight. I think that's pretty straightforward, isn't it? Now, the rest of the book of Judges, guess what it's filled with? People called judges who stood up and fought and led people to fight. They learned how to fight. So God says, I'm going to leave some enemies. I'm going to leave you some enemies. Why? Because you need to learn how to fight. Does the book of Judges say that what he did worked? Yes. People kept rising up and learning how to fight, and they fought. So number one, he left some enemies to teach them to fight. Number two, it's kind of interesting, but also in the process to teach them how to recognize disobedience. 
Because what does he say? I left you, I left you the, the commandments, verse 4, hearken unto the commandments of the Lord, which he commanded their fathers by the hand of Moses. I left that there. I left it for you. What does disobedience look like? Well, you're going to find out. That's why the enemies are there. <laughs> when you start joining in with the enemies and ignoring the word of God, ta-da! Because what happens? And you know the story. I don't have to, and we'll just, I'll give you the, the real simple version, but they'd be friendly with the enemies. Oh, everything's okay. We'll just allow them. And now we're going to, maybe we'll, now we'll, now we'll join in. And now we'll start joining and we'll worship their gods. And the next thing you know, their enemies, who are just small potatoes in the country, are literally their oppressors. They're, they're in charge. And they're going, how did we get here? Oh, somebody says, I'll tell you why. It's disobedience. And that person rises up. Matter of fact, we're going to see it right here in the next passage when we get there. Othniel, it says, he rises up. First, he judges Israel, which is what? He says, you've sinned. You've been disobedient. And first, he gets Israel in a good shape. They repent. He judges them. And then he turns and goes after the enemy. So why does he leave enemies in the, in the land? To teach us how to recognize when we've been disobedient. When we're, you know... Why do, we, why do we get disobedient? Well, when we're tired of fighting. That's what they were. I don't want to fight. I don't want to fight. Why would we have to fight? Grandpa fought. You know, I mean, I can see all sorts of excuses. I don't want to, you know, I'm, I mean, just honestly, I'm not really interested in another Vietnam. I talked to my uncle who has PTSD from that and won't talk about it. I'm not interested in another one. You know, I mean, if we, if we start putting this out logically... But the rest of the book of Judges is filled with people who called out the disobedience of their country and themselves and said, we need to do right. So number one, to teach them to fight. Number two, to teach them how to recognize disobedience. And number three, and I think this is as plain as day, what did God call them to be in the land? His people. That's it. Not better people, different people. Just different. So let, let me tell you this, it's, he's teaching them, guess what, it's okay to be different in the middle of a whole bunch of people who don't like what you're doing. It's okay to be different. He calls them in the land of Canaan to be not people of Canaan, but people of God. They aren't better, they're different. It's okay, listen, it's okay and it's right to be different. And guess what, the rest of the book of Judges is filled with people who decided that they were going to be different. No, we're not going to serve those gods. I serve this God. No, I'm not going to join in this way you worship. I've got this way of worship. And as a result, what happened? All through the book of Judges, over and over and over, a whole nation is led back to serving God. Because one person said, you know what? I'm going to be different, and it's okay to be different. That's as simple as you can get. So number one, three lessons. They, they, they taught them to fight. They taught them how to recognize the, uh, disobedience. And they taught them it's okay to be different. And his people were different. Very much different than the rest of those people in the land. Now, so transition. What does that mean for us today? <laughs> There's your transition phrase. What does it mean for us today? Well, I don't know if you know it or not. But guess what? The Christian life is a fight. It's a fight. Oh, oh well, yeah, let's see. First Timothy 5 8, or 1 Peter 5 8. 
Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. 1 Timothy 6.12, Paul tells Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. 2 Timothy 4.7, Paul says, I have fought a good fight. I have kept the faith. Ephesians 6, Paul gives a list of armor, weapons, and how to use them, and who the enemy is. Guess what? This is a battle. God has left enemies in our life, and we know, what those, we know who those enemies are. Oh, by the way, enemies aren't people. Our enemies aren't people. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, not people. Our enemy is quite clearly, a, a, this is a spiritual battle. But this is a fight. Guess what? Every generation, including this one, has got to learn how to fight. And God has left us an enemy. Why? That, you know, I, I wish for my kids. I really do. I, I mean, I, so just to be honest, I hate the course that the United States is on. I'm fearful. I mean, I look at the life my grandkids might have to live, and it scares me a little bit. But it needs to stop scaring me. Why? Because God's left those enemies on purpose. Why? Because a new generation of Christians has got to learn how to stand up and be Christians and fight against the devil. It's not like the devil is suddenly more powerful in this generation than he was in the last. Hello? Does everybody connect the dots? The devil has gained no power from the time of Christ till now, from the beginning of time until now. As a matter of fact, he's lost power. At the cross, Jesus gained the keys of death and hell. He's lost power, he's lost authority. Listen, I, I, don't, I don't like that the next generation has got some things that they've got to fight. But you know what? They're going to have to learn to fight. You're going to have to learn to fight. The enemies are here, not so you can go, oh, things are so bad and I can't wait to get to heaven. No, it's so you can go, where's that sword again? How do we fight this one? Somebody's got to do that. Fight the good fight. Christian, sometimes the, the sin and wickedness in this world is not left to depress you, but left to teach you to fight. So learn how to fight. It's going to be a battle. Number two, guess what? There's that little bit about disobedience, isn't there? We can still be disobedient. Disobedience is what? Probably a sign that we're spending too much time having fun with the enemy instead of fighting him. Don't get tired of obedience. Why do you think the Bible says? Again, this is all New Testament, right? But let's just look at just two verses. Galatians 6, 9. You all know this verse. And let us not be weary in... In due season we shall reap if we faint not. In 2 Thessalonians 3, but ye brethren, be not weary in well-doing. And that, that whole thought is constantly repeated. Be faithful. Don't, I mean, Hebrews 11. The hall of faith is about people who blew it in their life. Listen, Samson. Samson's in the hall of faith. He's not exactly a bastion of Christian faith. He wasn't even a bastion of a good example back then. I mean, seriously, the guy was not really... He had the power of God on him, and he kept using it for himself consistently. But he's in the hall of faith. Why? Because at some point, he did trust God, and he did choose to be different. I mean, too bad it was at the cost of his life. And, I mean, things could have been quite different. Listen, God is looking for not perfect people. He's looking for people to recognize, you know what? I'm tired of this disobedience. All it's doing is wearing me out and let the devil win. I think I'm going to have to learn how to fight. 
So sometimes the enemy, for our enemy is, a lot, is there to help us recognize disobedience in our own life and in our own country. Amen. I, I'm telling you, if you don't have clear reasons right now to stand up and say, excuse me, <laughs> this is wrong, and this is wrong, Bible says here, and the Bible says here, and the Bible says here. And I don't say it out of hate, but that's what the Bible says. This is disobedience. Amen. Amen. Stand up and recognize it. And here's an interesting thing. Do you think it was easy for this, these young, this new generation in Canaan to, to learn how to use a sword when Joshua, the great warrior, and that whole generation is dead? I mean, you think it was just an easy thing. Okay, I got a sword. What am I going to do with this thing? You be careful of that. You might cut somebody's head off accidentally. Is everybody here? <clears throat> fighting isn't much fun, is it? And fighting against disobedience. If, you've ever, if anybody in this room has fought against your own disobedience, it can be a royal pain and a lot of work. L- listen, 1 Peter 3.17 for, for it is better if the will of God be so that you suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. It's worth it. You're going to suffer, but if you're going to suffer, you know, is this world a place of suffering? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Even if you get everything you want, even if you get to do everything you want, it's still rotten life sometimes. Get everything you want, still not be happy. You know, so if you're going to suffer, why don't you suffer for doing right? It's kind of what Peter's saying. So, number one, teach you how to fight. Number two, Christians, this is a battle. Learn how to fight. Number two, disobedience is a sign that the enemy's making some inroads. And you know what I'm saying? And it's, hopefully it calls you to get up and fight. And don't, be, don't be tired of it. Amen. And number three, it's okay to be different. As a matter of fact, if you're a believer and you're following God, you're going to be different. Not better. Be careful. Just, you're different. Your end is better by a long shot, but that has nothing to do with you being better. That's all because of God. Now listen, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm really tired. There's a group of people out there that literally, they believe that if you have to be a peculiar people, then you have to try to be peculiar. And their whole purpose in life is to try to live like it's 60 years ago. Uh, baloney. You don't try to be peculiar. That's baloney. That's not, how that, that's not what the Bible is talking about. What you do is you follow God and you will be peculiar. Now, can we just talk a minute about what the word peculiar means? It doesn't mean weird. Not even in this does that word mean weird. It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean uh, that you have to use ancient language, all this kind of stuff, okay? The, the, word, the word special or peculiar out of that passage, and it's Titus 2.14, as one of the places, I know some of you are thinking the Peter passage, but Titus 2.14, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. The word peculiar, this is what it means. It means somebody who is special and belongs to God. That's what the word means. You're special to God and you belong to God. That's peculiar how? There's a lot of people in this town that don't belong to God. So you're peculiar. You get the picture. You're peculiar in town because a lot of people in this town belong to the devil. They think they belong to themselves. No, 
They belong to the devil, the father of the children, they're the children of disobedience. Peculiar means we belong to God. Listen, it's essentially the job of the believer in the world to do the three things we just talked about, to fight the enemy, to recognize disobedience and call it out, amen, and be peculiar, to be God's people. We need to be God's people in the world. We are a chosen generation. First Peter 2 says this. We are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should what? Show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. This world, this world is used to disobedience. For heaven's sakes, people, every generation acts like disobedience is the latest craze. Hello? Seriously. I mean, since the 60s, it's been like the bastion of every, every generation to say, rage against the machine. Okay, yeah, then we had the emo crowd, and then, then you had the, now we got the Antifa crowd. I mean, uh, it's not new. You all know that, right? Disobedience is not new. You all here? Okay. This, but every generation seems to act like it's the coolest thing in the world. No. You know, what, you know what being peculiar is in this world? To obey. That's weird. Why would you do that? Humans don't do that. Oh, yeah. Obey God. To obey God. This world is used to obedience. What they need, listen, what the world needs is someone like a judge who will stand up and say, Hey! This ain't right. This is wrong. The enemy is winning. I think I'm going to figure out how to use this thing. Let's go. Every generation needs that. Every culture needs that. Every town needs that. It don't matter how old you are. Every generation, every, every group, every family, every church, they need someone to stand up and say, um, this is wrong and that's right. We need to do this. And it's going to be weird. People are going to think you're weird. But you know what? Anybody, anybody can be disobedient and anybody can end up in a Hebrews chapter 11 hall of faith. Why? By just choosing to say, you know what? God left me some enemies not so I can whimper in the corner or join up, be friends with them, and, or I don't want to stand out. No, but so I can say, God said this is how we, how, how we should live. God says, has called me to live like this. And the rest of our country, the rest of our town, needs us, the rest of our church, frankly, needs us, someone, to stand up and say, uh, I'm tired of the devil winning. we got to figure out how to fix this. You realize that's what every judge did. What's going on here? Something's messed up. God, what's messed up? And God said, well, first of all, you're disobedient. Let's take care of that. You hear that? They go take care of it. Now what? Well, now we can go attack the enemy and win. Anyone, anyone can do it. I'm telling you, the pe- there's nothing incredibly special about a lot of the people in the book of Judges. As a matter of fact, we're, we're thinking one of them probably was a one-armed guy. One of them was just the son-in-law of a great guy. The other one was a, a nobody from a nobody tribe in a nobody family. I mean, it's endless. The whole, the, all these judges are, they're, they're just like average normal people in some family somewhere. That means you can do this. You can be someone who decides to stand up and say, the devil's winning and I don't like it. And the Bible says we can have a victory. Let's have a victory. Stand up. Stand up. 
It's okay. Now listen, I want to talk to, to the teens. This is a good thing. It's okay to be different, and you should be. Well, I don't want to stand out at school. It might be nice that you don't want to, but you are different. You, you by nature, as a believer, you are different. It's okay. As a matter of fact, you, you know what you're going to find for, for most kids when you stand up? You're going to, I'm, I'm just telling you, because I had a, a short period, a very short period, where I actually decided to do the right thing at school, and there's people that hate it. I got mocked even in Christian school. They laughed at me. At the same time, there was a few other kids who I made an impact on. And I didn't find that out until later. Why? Well, just because at some point I said, you know, this ain't right. I probably should. My dad's a preacher. I'm called to preach. I probably ought to act like it. You hear that? It's okay to be different, and you should be. I'm going to end with, I just want to end with this. And this is just a... a uh, another historical connection here. How many of you remember the Idi Amin? Idi Amin, okay. He was the ruler in Uganda, okay. He was a, a horrendous uh, dictator. He killed untold numbers of people. He made it illegal to basically uh, be a Christian. Period. I, I'm not sure what the basis for that was, but on Easter Sunday, 1973, Idi Amin is still rising, okay. There's a, there's a pastor by the name of Kefa Sampangi. He literally, he's a young guy. He's got a wife and kids. Uh, but he's, been, he's, he's gathering a, a very large group to preach to them on Easter Sunday. And literally, and fresh in his memory, I mean fresh in his memory, is watching a young man get his face and I know this is going to sound awful, but this is what he saw. This is real life. He saw his face burned beyond recognition, and then they beat him, and then they stomped on him, breaking bones, audibly being able to hear the bones break. And the, his, his crime, he was a Christian. Oh, I, don't want to, I don't want to stand up and be different like that. Yeah, but we're not talking about the young man. We're talking about Pastor Sampangi. So this is Easter. Easter Sunday, 1973. Pastor Sampangi is going to go preach. And guess what? It's in the town soccer stadium, and it holds 7,000 people. And he knows what the results might be. But he gets up, and he preaches, and people get saved. There's, I mean, it's, it's kind of interesting. They're, they're, he gets to preach the gospel to 7,000 people. On his way home, he is followed by Idi Amin's secret police. They follow him back to his, uh, not to his home, but his church. He goes back to his church building. He walks in. They follow him behind him. They shut the door, and they aim. There's five of them. They aim all their rifles at his face, and this is what they said. We are going to kill you for disobeying Amin's orders. If you have something to say, say it before you die. That's pretty straightforward. The young preacher, Sampangi, he's thinking of his wife. He's got a little girl, and he starts shaking, as would I think anybody. But he begins to realize, you know what? It's okay to be different, and somebody's got to stand up and hold a sword. And he says to them this, do what you must. The Word of God says that in Christ I am already dead, and that my real life is hidden with Him in God. It is not my life that is in danger but yours. I am alive in the risen Lord, but you are still dead in your sins 
May he spare you from eternal destruction. All five men went quiet. They don't know how long, but they said it seemed like forever. Finally, the leader lowered his gun and he looked at Sempangi and said, Would you pray for us? And he did. And then all five soldiers got led to the Lord in a little church because a man stood up in the face of death and said, somebody's just got to do what's right. Same five soldiers that went to kill him became his personal guard. You're saying, well, those are great, great stories. Yeah, but there are stories. The devil's no stronger and God is no weaker than he was for Pastor Sempangi, than he was for the Israelites in the land of Canaan, than he was for Paul, than he was for John the Baptist, than he was for our Christian forebears here in the United States and Christian forebears in many, many other places. I had stories here from uh, Alexander Solzhenitsyn I, I almost picked. Again, just uh, there's endless stories of people who finally said... I, I, I'll tell you the one about Alexander Solzhenitsyn. If you don't know him, it's a great book. You need to read it. But he got, he got put into the gulag, and uh, at one point he, they were just shoveling, and if you stopped shoveling, the guards would kill you. And he decided, I'm done. I don't want to fight this anymore. I'm just done. And so he purposefully stopped shoveling and put his hands on his shovel, and one of his Christian, well, a Christian brother nearby reached over and in his sight drew a cross in the dirt with his shovel and then turned and kept shoveling. And he said, and he said just for a moment I was realizing that, you know what? I need to have the courage just to stand up and keep doing what's right, even if it means shoveling. And he was given hope because another Christian said, no, don't do that. Keep doing what's right. Be different. You have enemies. There's enemies in this world. And guess what enemies do? They just sit back and enjoy themselves, right? No, the enemy is always on the attack. Be sober, be vigilant for your adversary as a roaring lion walketh about, seeking whom he may devour, constantly. You might as well accept it. Accept your enemies. doesn't mean you have to like them. It doesn't mean, listen, who is the enemy? Who's the enemy? Satan. And sometimes our own stinking flesh, but Satan's the real enemy. Accept them. God left his influence on this planet, not, not to show us what great oppressors that can be, but for amongst some of us to realize, you know what? I'm, I'm tired of this. C- can we fight the devil? And then the Lord's over saying, yeah, you can. Ephesians 6, I've given you the armor. I've shown you how to fight. I've shown you how to use it. Go use it. God gave, listen, think about this. And in, in we, if we stopped and thought about it, we could actually sit here and be thankful for the devil. What? Because you would never become a person who is strong in the Lord and strong in faith without him. You think, you think if everything was easy, we all trust in the Lord? No, it's because it's hard we have to trust in the Lord. It's because he fights against us that we have to turn to him. Listen, we learn how to fight 
because there's enemy. And we are still in a battle. We're not done until heaven. God, listen, God needs someone in the room, and he needs a pastor in the room, he needs deacons in the room, he needs young people in the room, he needs old people in the room, he needs not older young people in the room, he needs people who have jobs, people who don't have jobs, he needs moms, he needs dads to stand up and say, no, you know what? The enemies are here not for me to whimper in the corner, but for me to become a Christian, to fight. To find out how to use the word of God in the middle of my problems. To swing a sword. To find out how to have faith and trust God in the middle of a hailstorm of trash that's coming at me. You hear me? It's learning how to trust God. It's learning how to look at our life and say, Oh, I got here because of disobedience. Amen. Okay, so that's something we're going to have to get rid of. And then learn how to walk in this world being okay with the fact that you're just different. You're just different. And it's okay to be different. It's okay to be different. The lost world desperately needs believers to be different. We have to be. You know what that means? That we need to to stop pretending like we're okay with everything that they do or joining in with everything that they do. And we do need to draw some lines in the sand somewhere. Where? Well, I don't know. That's where we look to the weapons and find out. Amen. It's okay to be different. Christians need us to be different. The lost world needs us to be different. Somebody's got to stand up and say, I'm not going to do this anymore. I, I'm telling you, I, we look back on heroes of the faith, but we would often we don't want to be them, do we? I love the story of Jim Elliott, and I love the story of John and Betty Stam. I'm telling you, it's a great, great, great missionary story. If you ever get to read it, gave their lives in China uh, to be a witness to, to some people there. And I look at that and say, man, that is awesome. That's incredible. Well, I don't want to do that. I'm not looking really forward to going out and getting my head chopped off because I'm a Christian. But you know what? People got saved because John and Betty Stam said, I'm just going to be different. I'm going to fight the enemy. And guess what? We don't even face that. We're not facing death here in the United States. We haven't even resisted unto blood here. Amen. It's okay to be different. God left us some enemies for three reasons. To teach us to fight. Not to teach us to whimper in the corner, but to teach us to fight. To help us recognize disobedience and work against it. Amen. Repent. Lead others against it. And number three, make sure, I'm, I'm make sure I got it in my own head properly. Number three, to teach us that it's okay to be different. Amen. It's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it. Be different. Father, Lord, it's easy. It's easy to sit back and just join in with everything the world's doing. But it's also hard in that it continually leads us to questions and darkness and pain. And Lord, there are people, neighbors, there are people in this church, friends, family, sometimes close friends who need us 
to verbally and visibly be obedient to the things of God. They need us to stand up and be strong. They need us to accept the mocking and do right anyways. Or I think of the example of all those people that you have used and we're going to be looking at here in the book of Judges. People, Lord, just normal people who saw that they and their families and their country were in trouble. And the enemy had taken charge and the enemy was causing pain. And they found a way to have faith in God and fight the enemy. Lord, I pray that you'd teach some young person in here that it's okay to be different. It's okay to be a Christian at school. It's okay to have Christian attitudes and to correct a conversation that's happening. It's okay to stand up and say, this is not something God would be pleased with. Lord, for dads to look at their family and stand up and say, yeah, we've done enough of this. Let's do, some, let's do something along the lines of the things that God would enjoy. For husbands and wives to look at their, their lives and their, their work and their entertainment together and begin to say, it's okay to be different. Lord, help us to see who the enemy is and recognize that there are lots of people on this planet that need Christians to be different. Lord, thank you for the example of the judges. Thank you for the example that they left. And thank you, Lord, for our enemies. Lord, because somewhere along the line, someone is going to stand up and recognize recognize that we can fight the enemy that we're under his oppression for a reason and we just need to have faith in God Lord I pray that you'd teach us through our enemies and we'll thank you for it Lord we ask this in Jesus name